Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's podcast is Buying Better and Reducing Risk with my friend, Scott Evans. How's it going there, Scott? Good. Thanks, Joe. So before we go any further, Scott, please introduce yourself and your company. Sure. I'm Scott Evans. I am the president of Waybridge Technologies, uh, Waybridge. We are a uh, digital platform that is working to you know, make raw material supply chains, commodity supply chains more resilient, more efficient, and ultimately more sustainable. Excellent. Excellent. So where are you and Waybridge based? So, yeah, interestingly enough, I mean, the majority of the life of Waybridge, we're only about 20 months old, has been during the pandemic. But even having said that, most of most of our employees are are centered around the New York and London areas, although we do have you know some really key remote employees as well. Uh, L- London, England? Yes. How would you end up with New York and London? They're not they're not close to each other. <laughs> they aren't except in terms of when you think about the 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 raw materials industry or the commodities industry, New York and London do happen oh, to yeah. be uh hubs for commodity trading. Also, given the fact that they are uh, huge financial hubs, obviously $4 trillion commodity space uh, runs on the lifeline of commodity trade finance banks, which are based in large part in, in New York, London, obviously in, in Switzerland, Singapore as well. But And then m- my co-founders are, are New York based, um, but we very, very quickly started hiring in London because of, you know, there's, there's a lot of talent out there um, in, in our industries. It's interesting because, you know, we're usually talking about logistics and supply chain on this podcast. And those, normally those logistics and supply chain people came up through logistics and supply chain. What it sounds like is Waybridge is coming at it from a, another direction, which is equally important, which is these commodity markets. Yeah. I think a lot of times, and we've certainly noticed this, you know, in the sense of, of tech is that there's not a lot of attention paid to this, the beginning of the supply chain, right? Uh, you know, we're only now is this kind of in the in the news daily about, you know, lumber shortages, right? Lumber is a commodity, right. right? We're seeing shortages in the non-ferrous metal space as well. You know, raw materials are getting harder and harder to acquire in a timely fashion. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Jim Tompkins, who was on my podcast, I think he's kind of one of the supply chain legends. He was just on my podcast talking about VUCA. Volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and what's the last one? Ambiguity. So VUCA is, a lot of times you'll hear military guys use the term VUCA. But anyway, Jim was on my podcast. He started his company in 1975 after he got a PhD and after serving in the military. So he's not a young guy, and which I like because I feel like I'm always the oldest guy on my podcast. <laughs> but anyway, Jim said the other day that for the first time, my wife of 50-some years says to me, I now know what you do because supply chains are in the news every week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and before yeah. that, it was like, yeah, what the hell is a supply chain? Why do we keep hearing? What, what does that even mean? But yeah. now we yeah. know. So It's becoming very topical, yes. Anyway, before we get into buying better and reducing risk with Scott Evans. Let's learn about Scott Evans. Where'd you grow up and where'd you go to school? Tell us a little bit about you as a 
pre-Waybridge person? I grew up all over. I was an Air Force brat. So I think I once counted that I'd lived in 12 places throughout the United States prior to settling down in Dover, Delaware. And that's where I went, you know, through middle school and high school in Dover, Delaware. And uh, my dad was an Air Force pilot. And so didn't see a lot of him growing up because he was, you know, frequently flying around. But then after he retired, he stayed in Delaware. And and, uh, then I went to uh, college at at Swarthmore College right outside of of Philadelphia. Um, Very nice. And what did you study there? Economics with a minor in Russian. Very nice. Well, what were you planning on doing that? I mean, it just seems like you're in one of those East Coast colleges and you go, yeah, I'm studying Russian. It just seems like the thing to do. <laughs> well, I mean, Grant, <laughs> With now, you know, you say you like old guys. So, you know, I'm an old guy. <laughs> so I started studying Russian when Glasnost and Perestroika were a thing. Yeah. Spent my junior year abroad in, in what was then Leningrad. And oh, wow. Yeah. So you say, you know, what were you planning to do with that? I'd say the entire reason I'm in the, have been in the commodities industry for so long is actually because of my Russian. My first job in the commodities industry was working for a Russian-owned food exporter. So we were exporting food from the U.S. to Russia, primarily meat and poultry. And then my first job in uh metals trading industry was because the owner of, of this company, Gerald Metals, which is you know still around based in, I think still based in Stanford, Connecticut, was looking for, specifically looking for an American who spoke Russian <laughs> to help them source raw materials from the former Soviet Union. Yeah. You, you know what? Growing up in Delaware, dad's a pilot. Army Air Force pilot, and you speak Russian. It's like you're like half a spook already. Just like, <laughs> yeah, I've been accused of that a lot. <laughs> so, so you went to work in commodity market, and uh, that then what was? Tell us a little bit about your career beyond that. Yeah, so I mean, the past, you know, the past twenty years until about twenty months ago, I was a uh, commodity trader, and. You know, that's not a commodity trader like you see in trading places with Eddie Murphy. I was not a, a financial trader or a floor trader. I was actually, you know, involved, you know, right. in, in, with teams that were moving, you know, billions of dollars of, of, of goods globally. Right. So you're at a, you're at a desk, right? One of my friends is, was an open out call guy. You know, mm-hmm. where he's running, running around with a piece of paper in his hand, screaming and pushing. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize this till I went to visit the Chicago Board of Options where my friend worked is how they hired a whole bunch of like former athletes to do mm-hmm. this job. And I was like, mm-hmm. I just, I never envisioned like an, a financial job that involved like pushing. And that's what, there was a lot of that going. I was like, and I remember him saying, he goes, this is a young man's game. He goes, somebody goes out on a stretcher every, every week out of here. I was like, <laughs> I was like, there's more noise here in a, in a day than there is all year in automotive engineering and product yeah. development. Yeah. I never, I never see anyone get shoved. <laughs> I never, I don't ever see ambulances coming here. So yeah, that's, so you weren't doing the open outcry. You were, you were up there making the call. So somebody could go and shove and push and correct. Say, bye, bye, correct. bye. When, sell, when, sell, when, sell. when we were hedging, <laughs> correct. When we were hedging our, hedging our goods. Yeah. So you did this for many, you did this for 20 years and then yeah. You started Waybridge. What what hole did you see in the market? As I was kind of nearing the end of my my trading career, you know, there was something became very starkly apparent to me, right? Which was we we were having a harder and harder time 
hiring people to come in and just do the day-to-day operations involved in moving goods from point A to point B, right? Moving goods from Chile to the U.S. or from, you know, Russia to Europe. I mean, it was just becoming harder and harder to hire, right? And, you know, as I started really kind of thinking about this, having discussions with, with, with people in our operations staff, you know, they just described to me just how agonizing their day-to-day was, right? right? Because there was very little tech that had been built out to help make their lives better, right? To help me as a trader make my life easier so that I could understand, you know, where my inventories were or what my positions were so I could distribute the materials that, that we were trading more easily. And so I really spent, you know, quite a bit of time thinking about this, doing a lot of research, on various companies in the space that were, were trying to make a dent, mm-hmm. you know, solve this this kind of fundamental problem of a massive lack of tech investment. And, uh, you know, about, I'd say, March of 2019, uh, April of 2019, sat down with uh, my co-founder, Brian O'Kelly, and we, we, we started talking about the, the space. And he had just left his company, UpNexus, where he was had built some really transformative technology around ad tech, right? Right. And... We, we started. Yeah, I started discussing with him how commodity markets work, and and he was shocked about how how similar the advertising supply chain in a lot of ways was with the physical commodity supply chain. So we just started thinking about like what kind of tech could possibly be out there and what could be built, and and you know eventually ended up putting the uh, company together. Yeah, it's interesting because you, a lot of times when you, when you hear the analyst from outside of the logistics and supply chain say, "Look how." low tech it is. And then you think about why is it low tech? Why did it have this, what we'll call an underinvestment in tech? Well, it was all spread out. It was, you know, when you talk about, hey, I use 10 different trucking companies and those trucking companies use different owner operators. And mm-hmm. my, my commodities are taken out of the ground in Europe. Well, probably not Europe, for sure in Asia, maybe South America, sometimes Europe. Mm-hmm. But I have all these suppliers all over the place. It's a lot easier to develop tech if it's within your four walls. You know, people like you who had the Bloomberg servers, that's easy because you're all within 50 yards of each other, right? So you can connect those servers. But this business was almost by definition spread out. And that made it hard. It's easy to tech work in your four walls where you say, hey, starting tomorrow, everyone start using this new app or this new software. Not so easy when you got six six languages and thirty companies involved. <laughs> yeah, and I think you're you're hitting on a good point of where we we think our platform is really sitting. Right, it's really sitting almost between enterprises, right, between ERP systems, right, where we're helping people really transact and trying to automate and digitize those you know those linkages between commodity buyers and and their suppliers. Right, and I think you, you almost before it begins. You know, so we, we, ERP systems are pretty comfortable with parts, right? <laughs> if you have an ERP system, it wants part numbers. It's want, it wants numbers that can be used, right? It doesn't want, oh, I bought a ton of steel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that is less interesting to the ERP. Well, I should say less digestible for an ERP, I think. So you started this company with the idea that we're going to help commodity buyers buy better and reduce risk. So first, let's talk first about risk because all supply chain guys hate risk. So what risk are we trying to get rid of there? So many risks, right? I mean, I think I think that's what distinguishes the, you know, the raw material supply chain from you know what you're talking about with the ERP parts based, right? right? Is that there is so much 
price volatility, right? That price volatility has so many ramifications on actual supply, right? You could see situations like happened, you know, a year ago when commodity prices collapsed and so many producers of raw materials actually shut down because commodity prices were so low. And today we're seeing, you know, almost at daily fresh highs on commodity prices as a almost knock-on effect 12 months later of the fact that they had shut down. So there's this price aspect, I think, around the volatility you're mentioning what Vuka earlier, right? <laughs> yeah. The volatility of the price really does impact the supply chain. Volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. It's it's interesting because I, I was listening to Brett Gleason has a book. He's a Navy SEAL, and he used the term VUCA. And when I heard it, I t- pulled over in my car, I was listening, and I wrote VUCA. I was like, he doesn't recognize the business aspect of it. But then when you look it up, I think Warren Bennis talked about it first in the 80s in, in, a, in a business context. But it definitely applies to what you're talking about. So when somebody's trying to buy, I'm trying to buy potentially from somebody who's 12 hours time difference. I'm trying to buy from somebody who speaks a different language as their first language. They work for a different company, obviously, and currency is different, and I don't know them, right? Mm-hmm. So, so it's not just it's it's all that risk, which is before, you know. And again, I'm as, as putting my supply chain hat on for a second. I'm worried about safety, quality, delivery. So I want to make sure I don't want to just buy for a cheap price. I got to make sure that guy can actually deliver what he said he's going to deliver. I want to know that that's a legitimate company. I want to know that. The quality level, if it's if it's supposed to be some special kind of lumber, that it's actually that special kind of lumber. And it's got to all be right. It's not just cost. Yeah, it's not. And I think, you know, if you look at our first customers, and, and we're starting with the uh, non-ferrous metal markets, right? Because that's large, That's where my experience has been. And, and just explain what non-ferrous metals oh, are. Oh, sure, sure. Copper, the, the main ones are aluminum, copper, zinc, lead, nickel. It's what we build stuff with. <laughs> you build stuff with it, stuff that isn't iron. It's becoming like obviously increasingly important in, you know, electric vehicles, like a lot of these metals, right? As we think about cobalt, you know, or you think about copper wiring that goes into electric vehicles, or you think about aluminum parts trying to lightweight the cars. So I think, you know, it really is, these are metals that are largely traded on either the London Metal Exchange or the, or the CME. They're hedgeable, right? The, I would say just sheer quantity of the metals does not necessarily match up with, let's say, the ferrous markets, you know, where billions of tons trade every year, talking about 120 million tons of non-ferrous metals trading annually, but they're normally higher value than, than, than steel, right? Right. So I think also, you know, when we were prepping for this, we talked about, I'm an automotive guy originally, and when you get some business, let's just say I'm, I'm to deliver some sort of copper part, and you're the purchasing agent from, from one of the OEMs, and you say, Joe... How much is this going to cost? They say it's cost this much, but there is the concern that I'm supposed to deliver that part for the next four or five years. I don't have four or five. I, I can't go out and buy four or five years of material to sit out there. And if you hit a time like COVID where all of a sudden the prices go haywire, I'm going to come back and say, hey, Scott, I'd like to renegotiate. And you're like, no, Joe, we wrote this out. You give me a million parts a year for this. And the same thing happens in the trucking business. We have partnerships that we all want to work with, but we have to have some sort of tool around that. It just can't be, yeah, my price is one of 15% materials and I'd like an extra two cents per part. You go, 
prove it, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not just yeah. giving you your yeah. Yeah. that money, right? Yeah. We need yeah. some tools. <laughs> yeah, and, and those are some of the tools that we're hoping to develop here, right? We're starting with the physical supply chains, right? But all of this flows into the financial, right? Ultimately, right? right? right. But you can't really understand what your physical risks or your financial risks are until you really get a, a handle on the visibility around right. the physical. Right. Right. So the first thing you're going to do is you're going to help me buy better. All of these mm-hmm. potential is- issues out there, the currency issues, the mm-hmm. the supplier issues, all of the issues related that, that will impact my cost, my quality, my uh, de- ability to deliver, you're going to help me buy better and because I have a system. And now I can start to put everything in there and I can start to do manage right, the process. Mm-hmm. Now you manage mm-hmm. that process mm-hmm. using a mm-hmm. system as opposed mm-hmm. to using, let me guess, Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> Co- correct. And, and, and look, I mean, Excel is a, uh, it's a worthy competitor, right? Um, but, you know, the thing that it, it Excel lacks and that we're trying to bring, right, is this, is this ability to, to, to create a platform where you can communicate your needs right. with, with, your, with your, what we're calling ecosystem, right? With your supply right. network, right? Where everyone sees the same source of truth around like what's going on right. with, with, with these shipments, right? So therefore, we can start putting metrics around, you know, delivery and quality as it comes in. You know, you could think about like, like you had mentioned, or are you purchasing from people that value safety, right? And then being able to see all those metrics and then really understand, you know, at the end of the day, like, you know, what are, what are the actual costs associated with this supply, right? It might, this might seem cheaper because I've, I've bought this copper at a half a cent a pound cheaper than somebody else, but hey, the shipments were late and I had to shut down my plant. So right. was it actually cheaper? And so just really more uh, giving a lot of you know, data to our, our customers who are out there every day, you know, firefighting is one of them right. called it. Right. right. And, and really, this is the piece up front that I could see like the OEMs obviously have to concern themselves, but, but they, a lot of times the OEMs aren't buying materials. It's their tier ones, tier Correct. twos tier twos and tier three suppliers that are the ones left on the hook buying something. And I know, I know a lot of companies say, Hey, look, we're going to give you guidance. We're going to do a bulk buy, you know, but it's not easy. No matter how you start to coordinate that, making sure that we reduce all that risk and currency risk and, Mm -hmm. and company risk and being, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's interesting there. I saw, Oh, I want to say university of Tennessee said, Hey, here's a here's a list of countries that are the highest risk to receive goods from. Good to know, right? And I'm I'm going to say like if you start off and say, hey, I, we have some suppliers in these countries, and you recognize those countries that have lots of strife in them. You go, you know what? Maybe I don't want to buy from them. <laughs> how, do I, how do I buy it from somebody less risky? So you're going to give them a system that lets them manage this whole process. And you touched on a little bit KPIs. I want KPIs, key performance indicators that help me see how I'm doing and help me compare supplier one to supplier two to supplier three, right? Correct. And all of that, again, has impact on the bottom line, right? Are they delivering on time? Did I have to, you know, because of their lateness, buy material at a higher price from somebody else, right? Instead to to, um, really, you know, fill the holes in my supply chain, right? How can I start getting data on, you know, how long vessel shipments are taking, right? So it might not just be internal strife in, in a country. It might be, you know, that we've got the a backup. Jam up in, in LA. In, yeah, <laughs> correct. For example, right? Not a lot of non-ferrous metals coming through LA, but I think, you know, I think a lot of steel is, for example. But, the, you know, how is all of this having a knock-on effect so that you can 
you can, you know, really plan ahead and, and be able to really handle and manage these disruptions before they happen. Right. Right. Um, right. Well, and that's, uh, and that brings us into this idea of visibility. So mm-hmm. if I have all my information, I connect all my players and I, I'm assuming I can track this from the time I buy it to the time <laughs> to it time arrives. It, it yeah. arrives. So you yeah. have a visibility, visibility tool that lets me see this while yeah. it's on the ocean. So while it's on the ocean, while it's on truck, while it's on rail, and this is this is you know what we're plugging in for them right now, so that they can really day to day understand like how much metal do I have coming, or are ETAs shifting? Right? Do I have to worry about the fact that ETAs right. are shifting? Uh, you know, or again, or you know, is there a Suez Canal type event going on where right. I'm going to have to shut down my plant? Knowing that ahead of time, I might be able to source material from from alternate places, right? And so. You know, one of our one of our first clients, you know, in one of our first meetings with him said, I need a radar, right? That's what I need. (laughs) And 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 that's really the first phase of this platform is is providing this radar to our clients, right? Once you got the radar, you know you can run the plane. Right. Right. And you know, it's interesting because sometimes you hear people say, I've not heard radar, but I understand exactly what he's getting at. Mm -hmm. A lot of times you hear in this business, not so much lately, but a lot of people would say, Hey, we're gonna give you a a control tower. Uh, You know, again, I think we all in transportation and logistics recognize that we need that in our business, and that's probably a lot of the people listening to my podcast are transportation logistics. But we're doing it for over the road, which might maybe it's on the road for a, a week. When we're doing it, maybe over the ocean, that's important. But again, end-to-end is what a lot of people are concerned with. And what's interesting about what you're working on is the commodity stuff is almost pre-supply. I mean, when I order it, somebody's got to take take the materials, uh, raw materials out of the ground or create them, which actually brings us to the next one, sustainability. Ideally, not everything is coming as raw materials. And I think people are going to want to start tracking that. I'm assuming you're starting to already hear, hey, I don't, want, oh, yeah. I don't want to always take everything as raw materials. So yeah. talk, how do you help people well, with the sustainability aspect? When, when, you, when you think about what our platform is doing, where, where we're able to capture shipment data in a lot of time at the source, right? So that, you know, as a copper cathode is moving from Chile into, you know, Georgia or into Indiana, right? We're able to, capture that data at the source, track it all the way through, you know, a, a port in the Gulf of Mexico, and then, you know, on a truck or a rail car up to the plant, right? We can start providing that traceability, certainty of provenance, right? Like, where is this material actually coming from? And then we start thinking a lot about like, okay, well, you know, what kind of data do our clients actually want to start capturing for their consumers, right? So, you know, and there's a lot there, right? I don't think the market has fully decided. It's, you know, I, I you know, going into this initially, I think a lot of, okay, it's going to be carbon, right? Well, you know, then the other day someone mentioned to me, well, it's not just carbon. It's, it's, it's wastewater treatment at the mine or the smelter, right? Oh, geez, whoever thought of that, right? So there's so many metrics that are, that are becoming important. And, you know, I think our ability to then surface a lot of this data to our clients and say, okay, well, you know, there was this much carbon expended at source, this much carbon along the way, you, you know, or, or yeah, you've sourced the low carbon provider, but geez, they have a really bad wastewater treatment that's endangering people locally. So, you know, being able to, the number one step here is this 
visibility of data, right? It really is this, this, this visibility and transparency that then starts to inform and create a basis for sustainability. Right? And you know, it's funny, this comes up a lot of my podcasts is that I'm, I'm, I'm a big believer in key performance indicators. I hate when somebody starts to show me something with like, Hey, here's, here's our metrics. And it's like 20 metrics. You go, I, I don't care. Show me the four or five that tell the whole story. If, mm-hmm. if these four mm-hmm. or five are working, the process mm-hmm. is working. Mm-hmm. And I think we typically would have, you know, when we talk about, you know, moving products and stuff, we would have something on cost. That's easy, mm-hmm. right? We would always have something on on-time delivery. That's that's good. Damage, if it's worth transporting it, that's good. I want to know who delivered it, right? But I think um, we're going to have to put something on there for environmental, you know, and maybe it's carbon, you know, to your point, maybe it's something else depending on the type of supplier. But but sustainability, I think when we get into it is you're going to have more and more people say, look, I don't want all that to come out of the ground. I want it to come from a recycling center or I want it to come from, I don't know where, but somewhere that's less in the ground and say, hey, that's that's post-consumer or post-industrial waste that we can put in the, as an input to our supply chain. I mean, a lot of that is is feasible. Some of that is not feasible, right? There are certain applications where you do need what they call primary metal, right? Correct. To do the application. And then it becomes how responsibly is that operator of that mine, right? right? Or or how, how responsibly are they operating, right? So that if you're buying from a mine because you need the primary metal, is this a low carbon mine or a low low impact mine on the, right. Right, the surrounding environment or community? So yeah, I mean, again, hopefully we can this will evolve. start creating the, metrics this around is- this, but I, it is becoming increasingly important. Yeah. yeah, we all know it's coming, and now we're all just kind of trying to figure out how how, mm-hmm. how do we make this happen. And again, yeah. I think this is, you know, I, I'll put on my uh, somewhat political hat on. I think most of us listening to this podcast are pro business, and I think that the attacks on the business community some are very legitimate. When somebody says, "Hey, you don't take care of the environment," sometimes we are not doing as good a job on the environment, and maybe we said, "Well, that's the lowest cost." Well, maybe consumers will pay that extra 12 cents to know that we're doing the right thing. And the same with people. If you say, hey, I want to make sure that not only are we taking care of the shareholders and the employees and the customer, can we be a good neighbor, right? And that, and so it might get to the place where you say, I don't want to buy from this location because they don't treat customers right. If I find out, hey, that comes from a mine that mistreats locals or is polluting their neighborhood, right? Then you might say at some point, hey, if my, if my customers want that, I will I will help them track that. Right, right. And you see a lot of those disruptions in the raw materials space, right? Saw disruptions a couple of years ago when they sanctioned, you know, Russia. You know, there was, there was just a, a spike in the aluminum price because all of a sudden all this Russian metal that was coming over to the right. United States had to be diverted and rerouted, right? And so we, we do see a lot of those kind of politically driven disruptions, I think. But yeah, it is going to be interesting going forward. Do we start seeing almost like sustainability driven disruptions right. where, you know, something gets reported that's, you know, okay, this is just, it's not sustainable long-term to be sourcing from this location. What's also very interesting, and we're going to have to, we're going to have to be, this, this requires more thought than we want to give it. You know, we, we're in a very knee jerk world right now. And if you sit at a desk like you and I, and you, you create stuff that is digital, you don't look at yourself as a polluter. You're going, oh, I don't pollute anything. All I do, as a consumer, I might, but not as a, at my, in my day job. Anybody taking stuff out of the ground, if I'm digging 
If I'm cutting trees down, I'm having an environmental impact. Now, meanwhile, it's you and me using that paper, and we were sitting in those chairs that are made of wood. But we 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 kind of look down our nose and go, "Oh my God, look at those guys! They're awful. They're cutting trees down." Well, you're using it, <laughs> and it's the same with all raw materials that come from the ground. Those are, those guys aren't digging it up for themselves; they're digging it up to sell it to all of us. And I think we've we've moved some of that overseas because we don't want to see it and we don't want it in our own backyard, but it's happening somewhere. And that's, I think, what's an interesting, and the same with oil, where we say, oh, I don't want that oil coming out of the ground. It's dirty. Well, you're buying it. (laughs) Unless you're walking or riding your bike, you're using that oil. So it's an interesting dilemma that anybody in the commodity side, because they're the ones who look like they're the, the dirty players and they're the ones I think maybe have some opportunity to clean up, but it's, it's because of all of us. Um, well, yeah, step even, off even my soapbox now. Yeah, well, I mean, look, even even you know, vehicle electrification is not going to happen without copper, right? Exactly. It's not going to happen without <laughs> cobalt. It's not. I mean, these are the or you coal know, in some cases because right. that's a lot of our coal. Coal, the electricity came from uh, coal burning uh, uh, electricity sources. Right. So, no, I think it doesn't get a lot of attention. I think that's why, you know, from the standpoint of Weybridge, that's why we see a big opportunity because we think right. that, like, from a technological perspective, it's also been ignored. Right. Right. And so we think that there is a, a lot of value we could potentially, you know, add by helping people build more resilient right. supply chains. Well, this is one of those places where purchasing has such a huge impact on quality and the cost and all the other things Mm -hmm. we talked about. But as you said, increasingly sustainability, whatever they want to track, you can help them track it. (laughs) Yeah, correct. So I'm going to summarize this. Then I want to get your final thoughts on this. So we all want to, you know, in in the supply chains, we all want to buy better. We all want to reduce risk. All the risk we talked about, safety risk, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. cost risk, delivery risk. (laughs) I want to Mm -hmm. make sure I got the right quality. So the number one thing I'm looking for is I want to be able to reduce risk. I want to be able to have a, a streamlined process. So mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. that's number one. Number two, I want visibility. Just like everybody else on this podcast, mm-hmm. I want visibility. I want mm-hmm. a platform that gives me mm-hmm. end-to-end in my process mm-hmm. so I know what's going on. I know how much and where it's at and when it's going to get here. Next, you talked about KPIs. Everybody wants to be able to kind of look at their process, have reporting, and say, here is how I'm doing. Here's my scorecard. We're 10% better on this metric than last year. And then the last thing we talked about is sustainability. As time goes on, we, as we all mm-hmm. recognize mm-hmm. the need, and as your customers recognize the need, how do I do a better job on sustainability? So those are the four things that you guys are, the problems you guys are solving for people who are in the supply chain buying raw materials or commodities. Final thoughts on that topic. <laughs> I think you've summarized it very well. I think like that's a that's a gargantuan task um, um, trying to achieve in, and and really make impact on all four of those points. But that's in fact, you know, we have pretty lofty aspirations around this, right? Because we really do think that you know the time is now not only from a supply chain disruption perspective, but even from a technological perspective, there's been so many advances that have happened over the last right. 5, 10, 15 years that we can start really wiring together all of these um, right. enterprises and, and ecosystems, you know, wiring not just between buyer and seller, but between bank and warehouse and logistics provider. And we could not only just create efficiency and and help drive, you know, better sourcing platforms for our clients, but we can really help drive, you know, create 
tremendous value for them, right? So it's not just about like, okay, well, you know, I used to need two people sitting here doing data entry. Now I just need one. It's about what is that other one doing? They're doing something right. that's higher value to the enterprise, right? right. It's, it's, you know, helping this person just buy significantly better. Maybe they're, they're being able to access to our platform, you know, cheaper sources of financing for their, for their working capital, for their raw material supply chain. So it's, it's really starting to think about wiring together and becoming this connection point for the entire supply chain. Right. And it's big and it's complex, but you know, we're we're excited about, you know, the team we have right. and the and the customers we're we're implementing with now. We think it's right. going to be high impact. It, it this kind of comes up every once in a while that you'll see like a hole in the supply chain where we mm-hmm. don't we weren't all the way there. So when I say order to cash, at some point somebody makes an order and then there's somebody somewhere is taking buying raw materials to build this. Yeah. And we really don't have that visibility on that far end of the of the process, and we need it. Again, right. I, I love what you said about the, these manual processes. Every step along the way in the supply chain, we find people who say, oh, and it used to be much more common. I take information out of this, and I, <laughs> I put it into this one. And then we integrated systems, which sounded like a great thing. And then somebody said, integrating systems, that's so yesterday. I don't want, I don't want 10 different systems to cobble together. Give me one system. Right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm, I love mm-hmm, that. Uh, mm-hmm. I love what's happening. Scott, before you go, tell us a little bit what's going on over at Waybridge. Who do you guys serve? Any new white papers or virtual conferences, or maybe even a real conference at some point that you guys? Oh, uh, I'm, 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 I'm hopeful that we will have some real conferences this fall. We've certainly signed up for them. Like one of them being a conference called Harbor Intelligence, which is uh, you know the aluminum buyers and sellers normally go to. So hopeful that that'll be the first conference back. But generally at uh, where's that Weybridge, one at? Where's that one? Uh, at? Chicago. Chicago. Yeah. We've um you know free plug for Harbor Intelligence <laughs> there. But um we were super excited at Waybridge. We just finished raising a series B round looking to I saw really, it's it's not on your website 30 million dollars. So I mean I know that's not it's obviously not private, but that's a lot of money. Congratulations. Well it's a big space, right? It's a big space and, and I mean just even listening to you talk, you understand the complexity of the space and and, and connecting the this entire ecosystem requires a, a very heavy tech investment, right? And that's right. that's you know what we're determined to do. And so that that series B is going to be, you know, we're really going to be investing most heavily in product and in tech. We're going to start, you know, we've been kind of in stealth mode over the last 18 months as we've been, you know, implementing with our first few clients. We're going to be, you know, really expanding our kind of marketing and sales efforts and really like the objective here is to, you know, obviously get as many companies onto the platform as possible because like once you start having these pretty massive network effects, once right. once everyone is is kind of on the platform using the same standards, looking at the same truck go across the road, right. you know, it, it really does have a pretty massive effect. So we're excited about where we are and, and, and you know, even more excited about where we're going. Yeah, it's exciting because, you know, one of the things, uh, this has come up quite a few times on the podcast in this last year as we kind of went through COVID, is that we're going to have a digital twin for the supply chain, which gives us the opportunity to do a whole bunch of scenario planning. So mm-hmm. you can say, well, we're going to do 20 what-if scenarios. What if this? Mm-hmm. And trust me, pandemic will be in there this time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't mm-hmm. think it was mm-hmm. in the on mm-hmm. the list of things that could go wrong. But we need to start being able to do that. And if you say, well, yeah, it's, it's, we, we do a real good job of scenario planning after it's 
hit the port of LA and we're moving it in the United States. That's not enough. Right. <laughs> you know, right. supply chains right. get screwed up on the other side of the world in yep. cities you can't pronounce. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, very true. Uh, very true. And, and well, you um, can because you speak yeah. Russian, but <laughs> well, yeah, well, that's but that's it. Um, but I look, I think that that's that's a that's a great way to frame it, right? It's like we're we're you know the supply chain, d- d- despite any kind of efforts to the opposite, is global. I think it will continue to be global. You know, there's just certain things that you you can't produce domestically regardless of what country you're in you know aluminum in the united states like there's no bauxite in the united states you you've got to source <laughs> right. the original ore from somewhere else so we're 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 that's just you know the simplest example we're we're going to continue to be global and and being able to provide this visibility out to the far flung you know where where it, you know first hits hits a port i mean that's super exciting and and we think transformative to our clients Excellent, excellent. So what I'll do is I'll put a link to Waybridge and a link to your LinkedIn profile and anything else that Patrick gives me to put in the show notes. And uh, All right. I really appreciate you taking the time. Joe, thank you very much. It was really great. It. It, was, uh, it was great learning about this hole in the supply chain. <laughs> thank you so much, Joe. All right. And uh, thank all, all right. of you for listening to my podcast. Your support is very much appreciated. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversations with experts in the logistics field. If you're an expert and would like to be featured on the Logistics of Logistics podcast, please email Joe Lynch at joe at the logisticsoflogistics.com. <laughs>